This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Our guest today is Raj Subramayar, author of Skyrocket Your Career. Raj came to the U.S. from India as a shy young man in the midst of the sweeping recession in 2008. It was an uphill struggle, but he learned how to snag a low-paying job and then turn it into a six-figure business. He also lost 50 pounds. Raj talks about what he did to become an international keynote speaker and a career coach who helps tech folks to thrive at work. He also shares tips from his book about how you can find your dream job, become successful, and make yourself a rock star. Raj, you're a successful author and an international speaker and... um, you're a pretty big-time career coach. I know you work with tech career leaders and other people who want to have great uh, tech careers. But in your book, Skyrocket Your Career, you make it very clear that this didn't just happen automatically for you. I, I, it sounds like um, part of your path was a pretty big um, awakening back when you were quite a young man. Can, can you tell us about how you sort of changed your view of life and and took control of things? I think that's a great question to start off with because it sets some context uh, for our listeners as well. So I come from the southern part of India from a place called Chennai. And for those of you who are not familiar with Chennai, it's one of the five major cities in India, which pretty much fuels the economy. And I grew up in a family which was really academically oriented. So my dad, since he was born, he studied in scholarships. And then my brother, on the other hand, he was a super genius. He is a genius. He uh, has three masters and a PhD. And then there I was, the average kid who didn't who didn't do well in anything. You name it, academic, sports, dating. <laughs> I was average in everything. And... And people who come from nation culture, they can get this where you're pretty much given three options growing up. You either become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. At least this was the case 15, 20 years ago, right? And uh, I constantly kept, and then I chose the engineer option, and that's why I'm in IT right now. But the point is, since there were a lot of, I was surrounded by overachievers around me, I constantly kept comparing myself with other people, but I could never live up to their expectations because I could never meet people's expectations because they were so high. And trying this again and again led me into this path of uh, anxiety, stress, uh, depression. I was, I felt like an outcast. In fact, just talking to a girl would feel as if I'm going to get a nervous breakdown. And this kind of continued till my second year of my undergrad. And then I had a trigger event, which pretty much changed everything for me. I still remember that moment vividly. I was uh, in my study room and all of a sudden I could feel my 
chest hurting. And then the pain started increasing minute by minute. And at that point, I thought it was a heart attack, but now I know it was my first panic attack. And and I started crying profusely and I couldn't stop because all of a sudden I came to this realization that I'd lived the first 19 years of my life based on other people's opinions. I was letting other people's opinions be my reality. And I have never I had never done anything for myself. And once I had the realization, I decided that, you know what? I'm done with listening to people. I'm going to live a life based on my rules. I'm going to carve my own identity. I'm going to find my own passion. And that's when the whole transformation happened. And what I did was I took a paper and pen and started writing down a list of all my fears. I had fear of being judged, fear of failure, fear of being ignored, fear of public speaking. And I wrote down different strategies, which I'm going to follow to overcome them. And since then, uh, fast forwarding 16, 17 years down the line, I've transformed my life from a shy introverted kid earning a minimum salary into an international keynote speaker, author, and tech career strategist running a six-figure business. And I owe this transition to that trigger event, that incident which happened. That's why it's funny because, as you said, when people come to me when I give big talk, like keynotes, or when I coach clients, they say, how can I become like you? Then I would say, yeah, it takes 20 years of work. And that's how you can become like me. <laughs> and a lot of pain along the way sometimes. Well, I want to go back to this young man that you were, that you were describing. So I I know you're, you had this big paradigm shift. Everything changed and you took a much more, I think, positive approach of accepting yourself and being yourself. But there's still another leap um, that I think must have been pretty tough. How? What brought you to um, the United States in the middle of a really horrible recession? How? How was that transition? That's actually a funny and interesting story worth talking about. So once I graduated, a lot of people were saying, "Hey, you have to go to the United States to do your masters, get a job, you know, earn money." But I was not ready for that. I I had set a foot on this journey of self-exploration and I really wanted to figure out, okay, what I want in life, right? So I took up a job in a tech company in India. And then after three to four years, I slowly started realizing what I wanted to do in the sense, I loved how people develop software from start to finish. And I and I, I just didn't want to focus on just coding, like create, uh, building software, using software programming languages, but I was also interested in the high level picture. And that's when I decided, you know what? I'm gonna do my master's in software engineering because it exactly covers what I wanna learn. So that's what took me the United States in 2008. And I still remember this moment vividly because it, it, it's kind of funny again, because I came in to the United States on August 31st, 2008. And then on September 7th, 2008, Lehman Brothers, the one of the biggest financial firms in the world, which was based in the, in the United States, became bankrupt overnight. And that kind of... Uh, 
triggered the whole recession. So I didn't know there was going to be a recession when I came to the United States. <laughs> it just started a week after I came and then all hell broke loose when it came to like, you know, getting jobs and trying to figure out my life. What gave you the um, energy? I, I think I read somewhere that you applied for like more than 1,200 jobs. What helped <laughs> you persevere you know, right when you realized, oh, this is much harder than I thought? You just kept going. How did so you this what, keep so going? This what I call, this is what I call the immigrant, immigrant's mindset. A lot of people do not realize that people who come to a foreign land have to go through a lot of obstacles. Uh, when it comes to life and career. And usually they don't have that many options. So take, for example, me. I came to the United States and then I had student loans. I put in a lot of money um, myself to come to the United States. And it all depended, I, and it was all dependent upon me getting a job because I wanted to pay the student loans and I wanted to start a whole new chapter in my life. So when the recession hit, I basically just had two options. One option was go back to the place from where I came from. Or the second option was do whatever it takes and figure out a way to get a job. So for me, it boiled down to these two options. And luckily, I chose a second option. And then from the beginning of 2009 till end of 2009, I, as you said, I applied for 1,293 jobs and I got four callbacks from it, number four, four callbacks from it. And I converted one job out of it. And that dude was not a full-time job, but it was an internship. And then I had to work uh, really hard for six months to prove to people that, you know, I could do the job. And then the rest was history. And the reason I had to go through a lot of these obstacles was as an immigrant in the United States, you need a work permit called a H-1B uh, to work legally in the United States. And at that time, during the recession, no one was ready to pay money to sponsor my work permit. And that's why I had to go through all these hoops. So the moral of the story is, as immigrants, we usually have minimal options and uh People choose certain options which help them grow. People choose certain options which makes them go back to the place they came from. So it was as simple as that for me. So you learned a lot about how to manage yourself to um, keep going and how to work toward uh, the vision of what you want. In in your book, uh, Skyrocket Your Career, you have a, um, you, you have a, change process. Now, I'm a big believer that if you want to have a thriving career that lasts a really long time, you have to have sort of a, a, a change process. You have to have a, a, a go-to way to get started picking yourself up, and moving in a new direction, you know, when the time comes along. And you have something mm -hmm. that you call the um, uh, DPA approach, which I would guess maybe was rooted in back back when you were doing that. Would, would you tell us about your this change process, your DPA approach, and what that requires? Sure. So I'm a firm believer that everything is a strategy. You really need to know what the end goal is. Because this is the thing. Our lives are like a GPS system. Say, for example, you're using Google Maps. 
you, you can add you can add not put the destination address like without putting the destination address on google maps you cannot expect to reach a particular destination and then you cannot complain that google maps is not working properly and our lives and careers are the exact same way if you don't know where you're going then all the hard work, the effort, the time you spend is a waste because you don't know what the final destination is and you don't know the reason why you're doing all this work. That's when I discovered a strategy which I which I have followed personally in my life to make this transformation and also use this for my clients and other folks as well. So the DPA approach stands for discover, plan, and action. So the first phase is discover. You really need to discover where you need to go. And that's where a really important and simple and effective exercise comes into picture. And I call it the mind dump exercise, right? And it's a really simple exercise. So even listeners who are, are listening right now, you could uh, take a pen and paper. And what you're going to do is you're going to put... Uh, vertical line through the middle of the paper okay and then what you're going to do is on the left side on the left column write down all the things you love to do or like to do and then on the right side of the column write down all the things you don't want to do or hate to do and do that in an uninterrupted manner for about 30 minutes to an hour. No Facebooking, no instant messaging, put everything on do not disturb and do this in an uninterrupted manner. Because this is the thing, folks, all the things you wanna do in life is already in your mind. You're just unlocking that and putting all those things visually on paper. And then you can start seeing patterns in terms of what are the different strength areas? And based on that, what are the different career options you could focus on? We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. What I find sometimes in doing an exercise like this is sometimes clients or people I'm talking with are so frustrated or angry or whatever in their current job that they think, I don't know where I want to go. I just want to get away from here. And they can tell you all of the things they hate. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of sit with them and say, um, you hate working alone. Well, that tells you you want to work with people. So the no's almost always translate to the yeses, don't they? Exactly, exactly. So you bring up a good point as well. So if uh, people uh, have been working in toxic environments or they don't like their jobs for whatever reasons, they could convert their reasons for not liking their current job into positive affirmations 
for the next job they want, right? And yeah. they could do the same thing while doing the mind dump exercise as well. Instead of starting from the left column, then you just start from the right column in, in terms of what are the different things you hated about your current job or you hate about your current job. And then convert that into positive affirmations, right? Because as you were alluding to, say, for example, you like to, you don't like being micromanaged. You don't like uh, working in siloed environments. You love creativity. You love some authority. You love working in groups. Then maybe you want to focus on startup and mid-tier companies where they tend to have lesser processes compared to big companies because the probability of being micromanaged is slightly lesser and the possibility of uh, increasing creativity is going to be a lot higher because you will probably be the person spearheading the process changes and stuff like that. So you can start seeing patterns like that just by doing this exercise, right? Yeah. And what I tell people is, you usually would identify six to seven career options based on your strengths and just focus on the top three, okay? And then update your LinkedIn profile based on that. Uh, have separate resumes for those three career options and then start applying with the strategy. And that's and of course, there are a couple of more things related to discovering yourself, but at least what I mentioned right now would help people get started. That is the discover phase, okay? Yeah. And then you have the planning phase. So a problem with the majority of the people, including me at a certain point, was we don't have clear vision on who we want to become in the future. You always remember, you always have these questions when you attend interviews where they'll ask you, how do you see yourself five years from now? How do you see yourself 10 years from now? And I feel that's a decent question because it's good to have a vision and focus on what you want to become. So let's just take an example with me, right? So one of my vision, and when I say vision, I'm talking about things you would like to be in the future. It could be a speaker, writer, manager, director, senior engineer, whatever the case may be. And in my case, for example, in 2016, I identified that public speaking was one of my interest areas and I could vision envision myself speaking in front of hundreds of people. So that was my vision. And then you need to start identifying the goals you want to accomplish to reach that vision. Again, taking my example, for my vision to speak in front of hundreds of people, one of the goals that I identified was to find a job where I could speak at conferences and a job which would give me a chance to network with people. And that's the reason why, if you look at my profile, I was a developer evangelist. It sounds like a fancy word, but it's basically a person who speaks at a lot of conferences, does R&D, and is the face of the company. So strategically, I planned it. Nothing was a fluke, right? And then once you identify uh, the goals, the last thing you want to do is identify the different tasks you want to do to achieve those goals. So for example, in my case, the different tasks to become a speaker was I wanted to read books related to giving great presentations. I started recording myself speaking and then started analyzing how I'm communicating, how my body language was. Then I started researching different conferences to speak at and started applying proposals. I mean, started writing proposals, right? So that is the plan stage where you have the vision, goals, and tasks. And finally, yes, A is 
the action where you implement the plan. So that is kind of the DPA approach. Once you have this clear, clear strategy, then you can achieve anything you want to achieve based on your strengths. So that's that's what I talk about in the book as well. I, I think that's a really clear statement about how um, someone might get started to make a big shift. Sometimes the the hardest part is uh, is the A, the the action steps that um, <laughs> because the action steps involve doing things that may seem simple but were really hard. Like if you want to be a speaker but you're basically shy, the hardest part may be those very first speeches. How I. I tend to try to break things down into really small pieces so they don't hurt very much. But how did you, say on the topic of speaking, how did you make yourself get started? Were there times when you thought, this is just too uncomfortable, I can't do it, and you did it anyway? What did you do? That's a great question. I believe there's a beauty in getting uncomfortable to be comfortable. Again, getting uncomfortable to be comfortable there's a beauty in that journey because that's when you start finding different opportunities right so let's take again my case in terms of speaking i didn't immediately start you know speaking at a conference and giving keynotes so i i firmly believe in start in the saying start simple start small just like what you were kind of saying we're breaking down the breaking down stuff into small, small granular pieces. So that's what I did. So in 2011, I swiped uh, $3,000 of my own. So I swiped my credit card for $3,000 when I didn't have the money, but still I want to go to a conference because I knew that that was going to be going to make me uncomfortable being in a large group. And uh, I had this fear of being judged as well. So I thought, It'll make me uncomfortable and that'll be a good learning experience. And there I saw a lot of speakers giving uh, talks and there were some good talks and there were some not so great talks. And frankly speaking, the not so great talks gave me this epiphany that all the while I've been talking to myself about getting rid of the fear of public speaking, but what a better way than actually becoming a speaker to get to overcome that fear. So once I had that epiphany, I came back from the conference in 2011. Then in 2012, I uh, started speaking in small, small meetup groups because that was uh, enough, enough, uh, that was a good stretch for me in terms of getting uncomfortable. And then in 2013, after seven months and 23 trial runs, I gave my first conference talk and it was a huge hit. And that set the stage, set the path for me to become a speaker. So the summary of what I'm trying to say here is whenever you feel you are going to have times where you feel intimidated, you're going to have imposter syndrome, you won't feel like doing the work. And realize when you have those things, that means you're in the right path because you're trying to push against your mental blocks, and it, that takes a lot of work and courage. And that's what you're doing. And once you go past that, then you're going to start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's a slow, gradual process. It is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to test you, but you just 
you know, push through it. And there are many mechanisms through which you could push through it, which we could talk about also. But that's that's what we need to keep in mind in anything you do in life. I, I totally agree. It's uh, part of thriving no matter what, being resilient, is getting comfortable with discomfort. And um, I noticed, uh, I think you agree with me, that networking, building relationships is so important, and some people find it intimidating. And so one thing you can do if you're reluctant to network is go to someplace that you are comfortable, in the neighborhood or whatever, and just make an effort to work a little harder at asking questions or meeting somebody new in a safe environment. You just break it into kind of small bits of discomfort. And so you get used to kind of going through the discomfort and that can help you moving sometimes. Exactly. And it becomes a habit, right? And in the, in the awesome book, which uh, I recommend to a lot of people, Charles Duhigg in the power of habits, he talks about the three R's. One, it's routine, reward, repeat. Routine, reward, repeat. The three R's. So once you start doing stuff consistently and you keep pushing through it, and then it becomes a habit, it becomes normal for you. And then... Yeah, that's one of my favorite books. Is It really breaks things into understanding habits and and helps you keep moving. Exactly. And uh, that's what it's all about. You just keep doing it and then it becomes a habit. And then you pick up the next thing you're uncomfortable with, try to do it for two to three weeks and then make it into a habit. And again, not all the things are going to work for you. Again, let's not be idealistic here. But the point is, you need to try different things to know whether it's going to work or not. One cheesy reference, which I always make, from one of my favorite shows, which is Golden Girls. Yes, I do like Golden Girls, uh-huh. the TV show. And in that, Dorothy says, in life, when you take chances, sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. But when if you don't take a chance, nothing happens. I know That's that sounds right. cheesy, but it's so powerful. And I still use it in my talks. And Dorothy, as we know, is the wise one in the TV show. And if she says something, that means it should be right. <laughs> I Well, I, I agree with you and Dorothy both. Now, I want to change gears a little bit before we have to uh, sadly come to a close because this is really fun. But here's something I, I'm kind of wondering about. One of the things a lot of people are struggling with is the idea of going back to work. And obviously, COVID and um, the Delta variant and are scary uh, uh, again, much more than they were a couple months ago. But sometimes it's not even about that. Uh, people are thinking, I like this remote work, but I don't know if my boss will. Are, are you seeing that with your clients? And do you have a do you have any suggestions for people who, who want to make the case for working remotely, who want to convince their boss or um, create it into a lifestyle? What, what's your advice in that case? I think that's a great question, which is so relevant to what is happening right now. Because I was just reading this uh, research. I forgot the name of the source. It was about a week ago. It, it mentioned that 81% of the individuals now want to work remotely. And 42% to, uh, uh, answered in the survey that they would leave their jobs if they're not allowed to work remotely, which is, um, which is crazy. 
can you even imagine if, if that would have been the case during the pre-COVID era? So that's the state we are in. And that being said, with employers asking their employees to come into the office, there are different schools of thought, right? Some people, they're tired of you know being at home. They want to get into the office. But there are majority of the people who still got used to this, this flexible way of working and they want to have a say in it, right? So that being said, here are six strategies which I usually let my clients know and people know to convince your boss to come up with a amicable solution. In that way, you don't have to leave the company and everyone is happy, right? So here are the six things and this definitely works, folks. So you can take notes if you want. The first thing is, do your homework. So even before having the tough conversation with your boss about uh, about your uh, about your fears of coming into work, you want to research what procedures the company already has in place to ensure the employees will be safe if they come into the office. Because just by knowing that, you could get more clarity on whether it'll be safe for you to come into work or not. So that is the first thing. The second thing you want to do is track and highlight your productivity. So there are apps like Toggle and other time tracking apps where for two weeks, track your time and make sure you work on high, a highly critical task and the important tasks assigned to you and make sure you finish them on time and track that time and do that for two weeks. And when you have the conversation with your boss, show him or her how productive you you have been in the past two weeks and you just want to continue doing that and working from home would enable you to do that, right? So that is a great way to make your case with data and facts. The third thing you want to do is clearly express that you will not cause bottlenecks. Because one of the biggest concerns for employers is that uh, when you work from home, they think that sometimes you may not be doing work and you may be doing other things apart from work. That's when you need to clearly indicate what your working hours are. You need to let your colleagues know saying, hey, I'll be working from say eight to two and then say four to six, whatever the case may be. And then assure your boss, that you will always be available during work hours and make sure tasks are done on time and you won't be a bottleneck. So that really helps the employer understand that, okay, you know what, let's consider her request for working from home. So I've covered three things now, right? And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing you want to do is emphasize the fact that you're flexible. What I would suggest people do is let let your boss know that you are flexible in the sense you will come into the office for important meetings or team activities. And in that way, you don't rule out in-person visits altogether. And that will help the employers know that, okay, you're quite flexible. So let's you know figure out something which works for both of us. That is something you really, really need to think about. And the last two things which are also important, I want to quickly mention was Describe how productivity can be affected if you get sick. So let your employer know or your boss know that say you come into the office and then contract some variant of COVID, you're going to be out for two weeks and work is going to be affected. The productivity is going to be affected. And are they ready to take that chance? So now you're putting the ball on the 
on your employer's court and they have to now think through stuff because you have a really valid point. And finally, finally, this is the most important thing. Even if you don't follow any of the strategies which I've mentioned till now, you really need to follow this last one, which is the most important thing, which is you need to have an honest conversation about the way you feel. So let your boss know that you uh, coming into the office makes you scared because you have more chances of contracting any variants of COVID. And also, if you have a family member who is high risk or if you have young kids, that's all the more reason why you are feeling that way. And make sure you are on a video call when you have this conversation because you want your boss to know your facial expression and your body language when you're describing this because you genuinely are showing your vulnerability and then your boss would maybe think twice before uh, mandating you to come into work. So those are the six key things I would say to help people convince your boss uh, to work from home. I, I want to underscore that final one. I, I There's so much uh, we're learning about how remote work can work well, but one of them is sometimes neglected, and that is we have to take more responsibility for communicating, whether um, we're the employee or the employer, kind of casual communication we might have had in the past may not be taking place. So it's to our advantage to be really conscious of communicating uh, well and compassionately and routinely, don't you think? Exactly. And also remember that even your boss may have families. So it is okay to have a conversation human to human, friend to friend, not as a boss or employee, right? So you need to think about having an open conversation. And also you could even go one step further and say, you put yourself in my shoes, you tell me what would you do about it, right? So you're now forcing your boss to think with empathy and that would help probably to sway the decision in your favor, but you really need to be frank, open, and honest about these things because it's it it's, it's a matter of life and protecting your family. So you really need to be clear on how you feel. Well, getting more comfortable with human-to-human, real, authentic conversations is, is good advice for a lot of situations for people who want to um, thrive in their career. I think we're just about out of time, but... Do you have any other final thoughts you want to share with our listeners about what they could do today, maybe in a little bit to um, to um, launch some growth in their career? So I would say just uh, I would say two things, probably. One is start with the basics, which is do the mind dump exercise, because that's a starting point for anything you want to do in life. And then classify that into five different buckets, all the goals you've identified into the health, family, personal, wealth, and career buckets, and uh, strategically start approaching them. That is one. And the second thing is make sure you have a social media footprint. You really need to be on LinkedIn at least because everything you put on LinkedIn is is visible to millions of people and it is uh, SEO information and is indexed by Google as well. So make sure... If you don't have an updated LinkedIn profile, go update it and put the right keywords reflecting the next dream job 
you want to have. So those are the two key things which can help anyone get started uh, and have a positive life and career transformation. That is good advice. And uh, for people who want to get more of your good advice, I want to repeat that um, that your book is Skyrocket Your Career. Uh, and it's a, it's a book about finding your dream job, being successful, and transforming. Uh, forming yourself into a rock star. So it's it's a it's a good basic guide for people who want to create change. So, Rush, thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I appreciate you offering me a chance to share my strategies to help people. Thank you. Today we've been talking with Raj Supermeyer about how to change your mindset from scarcity to abundance and thrive in your career. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones. If you want to thrive in your career, I hope you'll also check out my new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that changing your career often starts by choosing a more positive mindset. And you might make today go better if you shift your attitude right now. Thanks for listening today. Please tell your friends about us and come back soon.